highest of heights to the depths of the sea. And even while he himself will be changed, Job and Lazarus, do you understand that everyone else around them is watching them and they're saying, what is the reality of your faith? And all of a sudden they see these things happening in the life and they're just like, oh my goodness. Welcome, everyone, to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. Today, we continue to learn the effect on those who observe Jesus' miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead. Like Mary and Martha, we too experience things in our lives that God has allowed to occur in order to strengthen our faith. Many times, we are unaware why God allows these things to happen. As students of the Bible, we learn that God's ways are not our ways. The book of Isaiah explains this in chapter 55, verse 8, and it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Now here's Pastor Rob with today's lesson. Before the Lord, the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? And Satan answered, and the Lord answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, from walking back and forth on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Again, have you considered him? Look at him, you've taken everything away. Have you considered him? Consider him again. Take a closer look, Satan. There's something in this man that you don't see. My relationship with him is much more solid than you think. He's a blameless man, an upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil, and he still holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. So Satan answered and said, Yes, yeah, skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has he will give for his life, but stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he's in your hand. But spare his life. Notice that he's on a chain. He's not a free agent to just go out and destroy. No, he has to go by God because all, every, every person belongs to God ultimately. And only the things that God will say, I will allow it, but to this level and no further. And he has to obey. God, can, God has the ability to trump him. He has the ability to checkmate him very quickly and very easily. He is on a leash. He is not a free agent to just go about destroying. So Satan went from the presence of the Lord and and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his feet to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a potsherd, which to scrape himself when he was in the midst of the ashes. And his wife, notice this, what a comforting wife. Why don't you just, why do you hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Thank you, honey. You know, you're just the epitome of a Proverbs 31 woman. Such a wonderful, just 
full of joy and exuberance and always encouraging. <laughs> Curse God and die. Let's get this on. Just die. Love you too, sweetheart. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? Notice, in all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. God knew the faith and the character of Job. Job didn't even know it, and certainly Satan didn't know it. So God used Job's life as he's going to use Lazarus's life for his glory. He used Job's life for his glory as well. All the calamities, all the sickness, all of these things, God was going to reveal his faithfulness and his healing and also put Job's faith on display for all the angels to see, for Job himself, the demons, and Satan. And Job had this wonderful testimony in chapter 19, verse 25, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. And here, and this is kind of interesting to tie in with what's going on in Lazarus's life, because now Job is, is prophesying of something that hasn't even occurred yet. Job was aware by the Spirit of God that there was going to be a resurrection, that Job himself would stand in the presence of God with a new body. Not in the flesh that he had that was decaying in front of him, but he knew that he would spend an eternity in the presence of Almighty God in his flesh, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Doesn't your heart yearn for Jesus? I am ready. <laughs> There's nothing on this earth that I'm like, oh, Lord, don't come yet. You know, young people, you know, teenagers are like, you know what? I don't want the Lord to come yet. I want to go to school. I want to graduate with, you know, magna cum laude. I want to I have that really high-paying job and drive that nice car. I want to know what it's like. I want to be married and maybe even have kids. I want to know, you know, and I get it. And that, those are good things but they just don't understand the reality of what's coming. <laughs> they don't understand, and we often don't understand. There's nothing that's more important, nothing more glorious than to be in his presence. I can't wait for the, for the, the trump to sound. Lord, is there like a, a, a preview? Can you just do this now? And I want to go. There's nothing on this earth that I'm excited about. Seriously, nothing. Even if it was a utopia, there's nothing. Life is wonderful, don't get me wrong, but we don't long for him because we don't understand what's going to happen and the beauty and the glory of it. And in Job 42, verse 5, he says, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Do you, do you see that what's happening here? Job has witnessed. He's been through this. Lazarus is going to experience the same thing. He's like, you know, I've heard all this stuff about you, Lord, but now I know. I've got, I've got tangible evidence. I've seen it. I've lived it. You know, there's nothing more powerful than when you have gone through something Nothing more powerful when you've experienced it for yourself. You own that truth. You own that. 
And you can tell it with authority and with integrity. You can tell somebody, listen, I've been through that. I know. I know how devastating that is that you experience. I experienced a similar thing. Maybe it's not the exact same thing, but I understand in generalities. I understand what it's like to lose uh, someone I love. I understand what it means to be lying in a sickbed and not knowing if you're going to come out the other end. I get it. I understand it. And Job says, I've seen with the, I've heard with the ear, but now I see it. And boy, that changed his life forever. And Lazarus would be changed forever. And even while he himself would be changed, Job and Lazarus, do you understand that everyone else around them is watching them and they're saying, what is the reality of your faith? And all of a sudden they see these things happening in the life and they're just like, oh my goodness. (laughs) I've been going to church for years. And I've just been tuned out. But now, oh my goodness, this is what it's all about. This is what it's all about. And I'm seeing it, and oh my goodness, it's right there in front of me. I can't deny it. What a great and wonderful thing to know experientially these things. And these two men certainly did. And ultimately, in the end, God would bless Job with twice that he had. In chapter 42, verse 10, it says, The Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had for all the animals, and even the children that he lost, God gave him back double. And it's almost like Job, or God saying to Job, Job, I used your life, and I know you went through a lot, and I revealed to you where you really are. You didn't curse my name. Did you struggle? Yes. But you didn't curse my name. And you know what? It's not for nothing, Job. Because now you know what I knew all along. And everyone around you has, has been witness to what you have gone through. And many of them have come to faith. And if that wasn't good enough, I'm going to reward you. Do you realize how insane that is? God allows something in your life, and not only does he use you in the moment to the, to the betterment of many around you, maybe even to the salvation of... I wonder how many people in heaven that we're going to see. I wonder if God would do that for each one of us as we stand there and go, like, God, I had nothing to do you know, with uh, being a witness for you. And God says, oh, wait a minute. Rob, I want you to see something. Or whoever it is, all of us, he'll say, I want you to, to see in your life the impact that you had and the people that got saved as a result of the, plant, of, of the seeds that you planted or watered or led them to Christ. It doesn't matter because it's all the same. I want you to see, look at that field of people. All those people are a result because you did not keep your mouth quiet. You allowed me to use your life, even in difficult circumstances. You allowed me to use your life And do you see that? Isn't that the reward? Look at the field. Tons of people out there because of you. And guess what? I'm going to reward you for it. (laughs) It almost doesn't seem fair, does it? But that's the truth. That's the truth. Paul's exhortation was this. He said uh, in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, notice what Paul says, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, notice, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. When I think about what I experience, and I think I compare it with other people, I realize that my affliction has been light. Some people have been through the furnace, 
Some people have been to the chopping block. You know, some have been martyred even. And yet I'm complaining because, you know, my Jeep ran out of gas. And that happened the other day, by the way. It's pretty humbling. (laughs) And I complained because I ran out of gas. And yet, light affliction... Even when I'm going through something. In Romans chapter 8, verse 18, Paul says to them, For I considered that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us, the praise that we are going to offer God because of what he's allowed in our life, as he allowed in Job's life, as he's going to show us in Lazarus's life in the week or two to come. He's going to be revealing those things. And even the martyrs of the church, people like Martin Luther, Polycarp, many others who died horrible deaths, some of them were like candles that were lit on fire and they were, they were, uh, they were uh, a spectacle for the guests of others to watch them burn. They were human candles. They were burned at the stake because they refused to recant their faith in Jesus Christ. They refused They refused the mandate. (laughs) I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to be forced to do something. And they they were killed. They were martyred for their faith. What does it tell us in Hebrews? Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings. Yes, and of chains and... They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. The world is not worthy of you, Christian. The world is not worthy. And guess what? None of us were worthy. But isn't it true that while we, God demonstrated for us His love, He didn't just say it. He demonstrated it. He put it into practice. He put it in a very visual terms that everyone could understand. He demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It tells us before the foundation of the world, it was already discussed. Read Revelation 13, verse 8. I think that's the verse. He was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Before even Adam, before God even spoke the world into existence, there was already a plan. A rescue plan was already in motion because God knew that man would choose evil. In John chapter 21, remember, this is after his resurrection when he met his disciples up on the Galilee It says this, Most assuredly, Jesus said, I say to you that when you were, and he's speaking to Peter here, when you were younger, you girded yourself and you walked about where you wished, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you did not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. Peter didn't want to be, tradition tells us, it's not in the Bible, but tradition tells us that, G, or that Peter didn't want to be crucified the same way as his Lord because he didn't feel it worthy, himself worthy to be crucified the same way. He says, crucify me upside down. So they were glad to oblige. He was crucified upside down for the glory of God. 
I don't know about you, but that just strikes a chord in me that's like, man, I, I cry over spilt milk so much. <laughs> and I look at some of this stuff, Lord, strengthen my faith. Shore up that faith. Do something in this rock in my chest. Do something with it, God. And although martyrdom was God's will for some, God calls the rest of us to be living sacrifices. What does it tell us in Romans? I beseech you, Paul said, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, notice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's just reasonable to present our bodies a living sacrifice. This seems like a paradox, doesn't it? Because a sacrifice is something that's tied to the altar and is put to death, but God calls us to be living sacrifices. So that means that I've got to die to myself, die to my old nature, to live for him. He wants me alive. Islam will be glad for you to take a C4 and strap it to a vest and blow up a marketplace. The God of Islam is a demon, and he wants his followers to blow people up, to be a sacrifice. And God says, no, I've already been this sacrifice. Thank you very much. It was once and for all. No need to do it again. Right? But we're to deny ourselves, right? We're to put off the old man, those things of the flesh, and put on the new man, which is Jesus Christ, right? And then be a living sacrifice. It's much harder to be a living sacrifice. Any coward can put on a vest and get loaded up on drugs and have somebody else detonate it remotely when he gets in the middle of a crowded area. Anybody, any coward could do that. Just load me up on fentanyl and take the remote and I'll be on my way. And I've got the promise of 70 virgins when I do go. Really? 70. That's what they teach. God would much rather have us be a living sacrifice, alive to glorify Him in and through our lives as He sees fit. So what is the benefit of our sickness or malady or calamity, whatever it is? At least, these are just a couple of suggestions. That God might be glorified in and through us in our weakness, He is strong. And secondly, that we may comfort others with the comfort that, gives, that, gives us, uh, that God gives us through whatever trial that is. And we're going to have to end here. Let me just read this one verse to you, and then we will have to stop there. You know, when you think about the things that you go through, again, there's a plan and a purpose behind it. It's not just happenstance. God very carefully chooses, and He knows where we're at. He knows what He can do, and He knows when we're ready. He knows you more than you can possibly understand. So when you feel like God has given me much more than I can take, that may be true, but He also knows something that you don't. He knows that he can sustain you if you would just surrender yourself when you're going through it. You know, there's a, there's a saying that, that's going around the church that's not really biblical, by the way. It, it, the phrase is, God wouldn't give me any more, than I can, any more than I can handle. That's not true. It's not true. In fact, I think God often allows us to be completely uh, um, consumed by things and, and, and puts us way over our head because what do you do when you're drowning? You cry out for help. But when I can handle it, I'll never ask for help. I'll climb out of the pit myself and say, I don't need God. But when he puts us in over our head, all of a sudden, I am the first one to scream and put up the white flag and say, Lord, help me. And what does he do? He comes and helps you. So that phrase, God doesn't 
give you any more than you can handle. Sometimes he gives you a lot more to get you on your knees again. To get you on your knees and to get your eyes looking upward instead of at yourself and your own circumstances. We need to be looking to him. Only him. There's nobody else who can help you and save you when God says, I can do this. In fact, I've, I've allowed this to happen to get you to the place where you'd stop looking at all of your credit cards, when you'd stop looking at all your doctors, where I am the only one. And when, you're, when he's the only one and you cry out to him, boy, he just runs like the prodigal, like the father running to the prodigal child. He will run to you and he will help you. He will save you. He will deliver you. Many of you know this through experience. I do myself as well. We're going to have to stop. (laughs) There's a lot more. But this is good. This is good. How How does God receive glory in the life of Lazarus? We're going to look at that more next week. And then we'll get into the real purpose of John 11, and that's the resurrection. I can't wait for that. But this is serious. This is, this is really good for us to consider because we live in it right now. We're living in it. People around us are suffering. Maybe you're suffering. You've got family members, friends, people that are, that are very seriously ill. And they're asking themselves the same question as maybe you're asking, Lord, how, does, how can you be glorified in and through this? As a believer, how can, you be, how can you be glorified in this? And as you're looking at others saying, Lord, how can you be glorified through this? It's a good question to ask. It's a good question to search your soul and say, Lord, how would you have me to respond now to this issue? Would you have me be like that child who doesn't get his way and is foaming at the mouth on the floor of the Walmart? Or do you want me to be the one who says, you know what, Lord? Though you slay me, I will trust you. I don't know what you're doing in this. I can't even see it. I don't understand it. It hurts. Nobody understands. I don't have any friends. People that I love have abandoned me. And all I've got is you. And God says, all you've got is me. (laughs) That's enough. But emotionally, honestly, we say, it's not enough. But God says, I know your frame. I know your dust. Will you cry out to me? Will you come to me? And begin to pray again. And surrender your life and your heart afresh to me, even in this. And let me work through you. Let me work through you. That we could be vessels of honor of gold and silver, not wood and straw and stubble. We can be vessels of honor. Father, we just thank you for this, um, this passage. And Lord, we pray that you would just continue to mature us, that you'd continue to grow us in this, Lord. It's very difficult, Lord. It's a very solemn topic. But Lord, you're in these things and you want to teach us. Would you help us through this, Lord? May we glorify you in and through all things that occur in our life. The good things, giving you thanks and honor, and even during the bad things. The things that we perceive as bad that are difficult, would you help us, Lord? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.
That's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of John. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.